0: So our sermon in a sentence this morning is uh, twofold. The sermon will be twofold. Jesus Christ is the all-powerful, eternal God. So there's the there's the first part. We're going to look at the identity of Jesus. We're going to ask the question, exactly who is Jesus? And then the follow-up is, and he uses his limitless supremacy to redeem mankind. So we move from identity to action. So the first part of the sermon, we're co- going to consider the identity of Jesus, and then the second part of the sermon. We're going to talk about now, now that we know who he is, let's talk about what he does. Let's talk about Jesus's identity. In verses 15 and 16, Paul uses two specific terms uh, to describe Jesus or, or two ideas to describe him. One is creator and one is Lord. So we'll look at both of those this morning. Paul says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. And then you skip down to the bottom of the page. All things were created through him. So Jesus is identified over and over again. This is just one particular place in Scripture, but there are many places in Scripture we could go to where Jesus is identified as the creator. Now, I want to go down a side road for just a second, because if you look at that first sentence, you might see something that could be slightly different confusing if you just kind of glance at it. He is the image of the invisible God. That means that that he's in the flesh and you can see him. And when you see him, you're getting an understanding of what God is all about. You're like, okay, that's good. But then it says that he is the firstborn of all creation. And what we might be tempted to, to see there is that Jesus is actually the first thing or person that got created. That, that Jesus was the first one created and somehow he he eventually became God. And that would be a misunderstanding of the word. What Paul is saying there is he's talking about the title of Jesus as the exalted one. So just as as the firstborn in in Paul's day and age, the firstborn in the family was the one that the title was passed to. So if dad was a duke, the, the oldest child became the duke. If dad was the king, the oldest child became a king. And so it's talking about The position of Jesus as the one who is next to the Father, the one who is the one of privilege, the one who is equal to God. It's not describing Jesus coming into being. So uh, thank you to the the 200, I think it was 217 or 218 of you who took the Jesus quiz last week. And when you walk out this morning, we're going to give you a piece of paper that will have the answers, and we'll also have some explanation on those answers. But two of the questions in the Jesus quiz had to do with this. Question number three said, God the Son is uncreated, true or false? The answer to that question is true. Uh, 74% of you got that right. 36% of us didn't understand that Jesus was not created, but that he is the eternal God. Question six was also true or false. Jesus first came into being when he was born in Bethlehem. The answer to that is false, 88% of us got that right, 12% missed that. Jesus did not uh, come into being like we come into existence when we are conceived and are born, but rather Jesus entered into humanity, but he is the pre-existent God, and it is very, very important that we understand that theology, and in that context, he is the creator. So you think about the eternal God who creates all that we can see and all that, that we can't see. He created all things, whether they're in heaven, in earth, whether they're visible or invisible, whether they're some kind of a ruler or authority, or you could even look at the opposite, although it isn't mentioned there, or whether he, the lowly, everything was created through Jesus. I was thinking about that this week, and what's most impressive when you think about creation? It's kind of, you know, the, the, the night sky and the solar system and the universe and all those kinds of things. So I went digging around and looked up some pictures, and, and this, is a, this is a pretty impressive picture. You can see the earth there and the moon in the background, uh, but as, as nice as that picture is, it doesn't do justice to what you're going to see next when it comes to the creation and the creative power uh, that, that spoke the universes into being. So watch the screen, if you would, for the next couple of minutes. Kind of gives you a little bit of context. When you say Jesus is creator, when you say that Jesus is the one who created all things, and you realize that you really can't even get your mind around what that means, and yet how quickly we are to say that so nonchalantly, as if it, as if it really has no bearing in our lives. As if it actually has no real meaning in our lives. As if Jesus, you know, we say kind of, some people say, you know, God kind of wound up the universe like a clock and, and let it go. And then you see something like that and you go, that, that's simply impossible. It simply could not happen. This, this universe, all the universes could not function without Jesus as their creator. But you could look internally as well, not just looking at, at solar systems and galaxies and, and supernovas and all of those kinds of things, but just looking at the human body just looking at the way that we were created. We have about a dozen major organ systems in our body, but each one of those organ systems contains hundreds, hundreds of individual structures and all of their functions are integrated by a nervous system that is so incredibly complex that we are still discovering things about it, even in this day of amazing science. So you can look outward or you can look inward. When you say Jesus is creator, it's quite amazing. And on top of that, Jesus, the creator, made you different than he made any other creature on this planet, whether it be mammal life or reptile life or insect life or plant life. Plants don't have feelings. Plants don't think about things. As much as those who worship the, uh, worship the creation would like to, to think that, uh, they have no mind to think. The, an animal does not have the same way to reason as you and I do. An animal has instinct and it, and it has nothing beyond that. And yet you were created to be in relationships with other people at the depth of a level that is really quite profound. If you think about the incredible pain that another human being can cause you, you think about the incredible amount of love you can experience from another person. We have been created to feel and to reason, to experience love and joy and sorrow, to experience relationships. We are created. Genesis 1 says in the image of God and that is quite quite remarkable. So to say Jesus is creator in Colossians 1 we almost skip over that as if it were inconsequential. But that creator that 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 Putting all things in place leads Paul to say something else about Jesus, and that is that he is not only creator, but he is Lord. If we could go back to verses 16 and verses 17, all things were created through him, and notice this carefully, and for him. Everything was created for his good pleasure, everything was created in order to honor him. Everything was created in order for where for, uh, Chip let off the, the service is going to conclude the service with Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies show forth his praise. All right? So all of this was created for him, and through him, all things hold together. In other words, he has the final say in everything and in everyone's lives. And that's where you say, okay, I'll I'll give you the creator, but now you're starting to talk about lordship. Now you're starting to talk about Jesus exerting his influence into my life every moment, every day. He wants me to follow him. He wants me to reflect his glory. He wants me to be in a relationship to him where where he's the authority, and I am submitting my will to his. Yes, that's exactly what Jesus wants. Jesus is the one for whom all things were created, and he is the one that holds everything together. And that begins to make us nervous. Why? Because a lot of people don't do well when they're given authority. A lot of us have had experiences where people who have, have been put in positions of authority have not been given accountability And therefore, they end up being hurtful in the way they use their authority. One of the questions you may ask if you're relatively new to the Christian faith is, well, what's Jesus going to do with all this authority? How do I know I can trust him not to harm me with all of that power? Because after all, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? you think about our government, you think about uh, the United States government was with the founding principle of our government. If I, if I asked you to fill in that blank, probably just about everybody uh, who's been through, I I don't know what, maybe eighth grade government class would be able to say, you know, the founding principle of America is that all men are created equal. All people are created equal, right? That's probably what most of us would say. And while I agree that certainly what was written down, but if you study the American the United States constitution, if you study the Bill of Rights, if you go on and dig a little deeper, here's what you find really technically is our founding philosophy. You can't trust anybody with power. <laughs> That's the founding philosophy of America. Why do we have three branches of government? Because we want to have checks and balances. Why do we need to have checks and balances? Because you put one person in charge and give them absolute sovereignty, they're eventually going to hurt someone else. They're very, uh, eventually going to take advantage. They're eventually going to use their power in cronyism to help their friends and to hurt other people or simply to reinforce their power at the expense of others. There's been a lot of talk this year. You know, we're entering into one of my least favorite times, uh, although it's an important time for us, and I'm thankful. I'm so thankful to live in a free country and get to vote for those people who are going to represent us in local and state and at the federal level. But there's been a lot of talk in this election year about executive orders. And those are things that presidents do when they just kind of want to get something done. And there have been a lot of questions this year about uh, the present administration's use of executive orders, and are they... Are they really the right thing to do? So I just Googled executive order because I was curious as to whether that was a fair critique or, or not a fair critique. And so I began to look at the different presidents and I began to look at how many different executive orders they have. And you can get a printout like this. It took me all of 30 seconds to find this. There's only one president in the history of our country. I should have I gotten a Starbucks card for this. Only one president who never ever put out an executive order. Anybody know who that was? William Henry Harrison. Did you get that right, Rick? There you go. I'm sorry, I don't have any more gift cards. Come to lunch, I'll get you a slice of pizza, even though you've been around for a while. Um, uh, I, I'm going to pick on him because I know he knows the answer. How come? Why? Why? 30 days and he died. Right. He never got a chance. I think it was actually 32 days, but, I, but, that, but that might... I'm going to trust your, your 30 days, right? There were a few guys that, that had one. John Adams had one. James Madison James Monroe. James Monroe is actually the last one. He's, he's the fourth. After him, everybody started getting into, uh, into, into double and triple digits. So I thought, well, maybe it's a Republican-Democrat thing. So President Obama has, up to now, has another year left, but he has 226. How does that go? Well, the guy before him, who was in off straight years, Republican, he had 291. That sounds about even. I thought, well, maybe that's just those two guys. So I took it all the way back to Jimmy Carter, and I divided it between Republicans and Democrats. And, and Republicans um, have 818, and Democrats have 910. That That's pretty even. Most people say Teddy Roosevelt was a relatively conservative president. He had 1,081. But his cousin, if you just put the Roosevelt family on there... And Franklin, who a lot of people think was a wonderful president and and got us out of a real difficult situation, 3,522 in 12 years, right? And why does that make us nervous? Well, who should have that much power, right? That's what scares us about that. That's what makes us nervous. Why isn't the Senate over there doing their job? Why is not the judiciary over there keeping an eye on this? Because we can't trust anybody. You think about people who have had complete authority in the last hundred or so years. And you think about people that are infamous. You think about people like Adolf Hitler. You think about people like Joseph Stalin. You put those two men together, and they are, they are accountable for over 35 million deaths in the 20th century. You think about a, a dictator, the leader of the Khmer Rouge, uh, Pol Pot, who was a dictator over a country of 8 million people, and in three years, he killed 2 million of those people. We get real nervous when we start talking about somebody having absolute authority. It doesn't make us sit any easier. Why should Jesus be any different? Why should we not hold him at arm's length and say, I just don't know that I can trust you? Well, it's because Paul wrote verses 19 and 20 as well. We understand the identity of Jesus as creator and Lord, but let's look at how he uses this unlimited authority. Verses 19 and 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul's talking about when Jesus walked the face of the earth, he was fully God and fully human 100% of the time, all the time. So all the fullness of God, if you were looking at Jesus, you were seeing God, it dwelt in him. And through him, to do what? To reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, Jesus uses his absolute power to exercise mercy and grace. That term reconcile or the term reconciliation means that the scales are out of balance. And it's an accounting term. Accountants want to make sure that the books are reconciled, that everything's in its proper place and that everything comes out evenly. The scales were out of balance in my life. The scales were out of balance in your life because there was a penalty that you and I owed. There was a debt that was demanded because we've broken the law. Not man's law, though we've probably broken man's law too, but God's holy and perfect law. God put his law in place so that we would see his character and understand his love for his people and live in that same love. You look at the 10 commandments, they're all for everybody's good. People are like, oh, God gave us the 10 commandments to rain on our picnic. Really? What's raining on your picnic about not lying to people? What's raining on your, your picnic about not murdering people? What's raining on your picnic about taking one day and resting and just enjoying the creation? God gave us his perfect law so that he would care for us and we'd be able to care for each other. And what do we do? We ignore God's law. And then what happens? We hurt each other. We hurt each other. And anybody in this room that hasn't hurt somebody else unless there's an infant in this room. When our children got to the ripe old age of about 18 months, they were able to to do pretty good damage to each other. It's intrinsic in all of us and we violated God's law. And God's not going to turn a blind eye to that. God isn't going to say that's okay. When I stand before God and if I don't, I don't have anything other than I tried hard and I was a pastor for a few years, God's going to say, well, what about this giant list over here that's making the scale tip against you like that? What are you going to do about all of that, Tom? Jesus reconciled it. Jesus made it right. He used his authority to pay the debt that we owe God's perfect justice. And He paid it in full. He didn't pay part of it. You don't have to meet God halfway. You know, God will do His part if you do your part. That's nonsensical. It's insane. It it, it just it, it, get it out of your mind. There's nothing you can do to make up for all the sin in your life. Jesus did it all by reconciling us to God. He paid it in full. So it's a, a movie yesterday. Uh, buddy called and said, "Hey, you want to go to movies?" I said, "Sure, that sounds great." Uh, four o'clock. We went to see the Benghazi 13-hour movie, which was an, it, well done but pretty intense. So, uh, careful if you if you're not good with intense movies. But uh, he he uh, he said, "Well, I'll get the tickets." So we're walking to the theater, and he's got them printed out, and he gets tickets, and he hands me my ticket, and I'm, I look at it, it was like, matinee was like $8. Remember when a matinee was like a buck and a quarter? Um, but anyway, uh, so I'm like, I don't have any change. I, you know, I got to get some change. He said, don't worry. It's only $8. Don't worry about it. This stage in our life, I got it. I, I got it taken care of. Don't worry about it, All Right? So I'm standing before God, and God says, how are you going to pay? I'm like, I don't have a wallet big enough. There's no way I can pay that debt. And God says, I got it. This this isn't a movie. This This is your eternal dwelling place with me forever. I've reconciled that, Tom. I've made it right. The books have been balanced. That's how Jesus uses his authority. And to reinforce it, Paul says, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus has brought us into perfect unity and harmony with God. There was Enmity, there was division. Why? Because we rebelled against God, because we turned our backs on Him, because we went our own way, and we had no interest in making peace, and God did all the work. And we now, through Christ Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, that's why forever Green Tree, God forbid the day when they're in the cross here, someplace. There's a bunch of them in the window right there, much less this bright one right behind me. Why? Because that's how the peace was made. That's how you can be a friend of God. That's how I can be a friend of God. And it's the only way I can be a friend of God. It's through the peace that Jesus gives me. You ever been in a real bad disagreement with somebody you really love? Say, yeah, on the way to church this morning. Funny you should ask, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to make it right. You think about how that feels. You think about the weight that that just kind of bears down on you. And then think about when you get it fixed. Whether you go to the person and say, you know what, I was wrong and here's what I did wrong, would you please forgive me? Or if a, or if you're a friend or, or a spouse, child or parent comes to you and says, I was wrong, and, and they're asking you for forgiveness, uh, maybe you're not the one going for forgiveness, maybe you're the one granting forgiveness, and you get it right, and, and, and you get it back the way it should be. You know how, you know how good that feels? it's like all the weight of the world has come off of you, right? That's what Jesus did. We have a perfect relationship now with God, even though we don't see it as perfectly as we will when we're in heaven, there's, there's nothing staining it. There's nothing ruining it. We are in a genuine friendship with God the Father. Only God has the power to erase the stain and the repercussions of sin in my life and in your life. And that's exactly what he did nobody uses power like that. Nobody, never, ever in the history of the world has anybody used that kind of power for someone else's sake. How do you respond to that? What do you do with that? We're almost out of time, but let me give you just a couple things to think about. The first, I think, is praise and worship. As I said, Chip started with Psalm 19. He's going to come back to that We should join in with the heavens and the skies in praising God, because God is the one who can handle that kind of authority and use it in a way that actually brings life instead of hurt. I would suggest it should also bring a humility of spirit. Do I gladly bow before the lordship of Christ now that I understand his character? Now that I know that he genuinely loves me and uses his power to save me, I should gladly submit to that and say, Lord, have your will in my life. I want to love the things that you love. I want to follow you every day because I've never been loved like this before. I've never experienced anything like this, and I never, ever will. Let me trust in you actively every day of my life, which leads me to a third. I've got four. leads me to a third, and it's this. Do I use the power and the influence that God has given me, whether it's in my family, my friendships, maybe maybe I have a place of leadership in my school, uh, maybe I'm I'm somebody in my office that, that has some responsibility for some other people. How do I use that influence? Do I use it to harm people occasionally, or do I use it to reflect the character of Jesus? It's hard for me to say I believe that Jesus is creator and Lord Reconciler and peacemaker, and then go and live a life that hurts other people. Those two things are completely inconsistent. And fourthly, how would I do it explaining this to others? So I put you all on the spot this morning about the verses, right? But could you sit down with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and talk to them about his creative power, his lordship? Talk about how he uses his power to reconcile lost and broken sinners and to bring peace with all who will put their trust in Christ. Because you see, friends, it is not about a Jesus quiz. <laughs> it just isn't. I'm glad you're going to get the answers. I want you to study them. I want you to read them. We all need to learn and understand more. So when you walk out today, get those. It's not about, not about how much we, we know. It's about people that need to know him too. May God grant us the grace and the power through his Holy Spirit to believe Jesus, as the creator and as the Lord, as the reconciler and as the peacemaker. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, even when we are unfaithful. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, even when we struggle to believe it's true. Lord Jesus, we thank you that perhaps this morning you've given us a fresh vision of your creating power your lordship, but also, Father, that that in the subsequent verses that Paul wrote, that you've reminded us how you use your authority to redeem, to bring peace. May that be a reality in every one of our lives. And Father, give us the heart and the passion and the compassion. Give us the character of, of your son, the Lord Jesus, in our lives that we would share that with the world around us. We pray in his name. Amen.
1: Will you stand with us as we respond? So we began with Psalm 19 and here it is again to lead us into our time of response. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. From the highest of heights to the depths of
2: the sea, creation's revealing Your majesty. From the cups of fall to the fragrance of spring, every creature You. Need song that it sings of explaining and describing God Who has told Every lightning bolt Where it should go Or seen see heavenly, heavenly Storehouses Plenty oh. with snow Who oh. will imagine The sun oh. gets lost oh. to its oh. light Conceals and to bring us the fullness of. Life.
1: consider all the words thy hands have made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe
2: How great Thou art, how great Thou
1: art, and when I think, His God, His Son, not very? sent Him
2: How great Thou art! How great Thou art! How great Thou art! How great Thou art! How great thou art. How great
0: thou art. And thank y'all for worshiping with us this morning. Remember. You're relatively new. You like to stick around. We'd love to have lunch with you. Uh, work on your memory work a little bit, y'all. We're a little bit behind the first service. So I'll try to catch up with that. Uh, our prayer team, our Stephen ministers, hang out over here after the service so we can pray for you about anything, or you just need somebody to talk to you about some things in your life. That's what they're there for. They would love to meet with you. And now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in His name. And now to the Lord and the Creator. And the one who uses his power to reconcile, to redeem, and to make peace. To him be glory in this world and in the world to come. Amen. The Lord bless you. Go in peace.